Welcome to the Ringer NBA Show. I'm Chris Varney, and joining me as he does every Tuesday from TheRinger.com is Kevin O'Connor, a.k.a. Kevin O'Bomber, a.k.a. Kevin O'Conflict, a.k.a. Kevin O'Comment, a.k.a. Kevin O'Model. Kevin! <laughs> Chris, what's up, man? I miss talking to you. It's a fun, fun, fun week of NBA basketball. We're going to have to floss a little bit. Okay, first thing to floss about. Number one. It was our, I believe, Christmas wish list, or maybe it was a w- wishes for the New Year's. Yeah. Um, it was last year, and we were doing a podcast, and one of the wishes that I made, and this was actually last season. I'd have to go back and find that. Probably should have done that before we did this podcast. <laughs> but one of my wishes, you will recall, was I wanted to see a 50-point quarter. We got it. I thought it was a possibility <laughs> given... The Warriors at the Rockets. I didn't realize it was going to come in the playoffs. We've been waiting for all that time. And a, and a couple of people brought it up to me last night on Twitter. But I said, I want to see. I do think we are in range where one of these teams with the amount of threes that they shoot could actually have a 50-point quarter. Never in a million years would I have thought that a team would be capable of having a 50-point quarter in the playoffs, though. <laughs> I mean, this was... I mean, this is... Uh, obviously historic. Like when I wished for that because it is something that I thought would be extremely far fetched. Thus, it was throwing a penny in a you know in in, in a basin. But there it was <laughs> last night. I witnessed it. Fifty points. And so in that second quarter, right, Houston was starting to get open shots. It was almost the calm before the storm. Nobody would have expected a fifty point third quarter, but that shows what the Rockets are capable of when. Everything is working. Like they were scoring on isolations, Chris. They were scoring on pull-ups in the pick and roll. They were getting to the lane. They were they were just completely shredding Carl Anthony Towns and the entire defense. Uh, it, it, it was it was impressive to actually see it when, like you said, last season, whenever it was, it was really just a fantasy. Over four points a minute. That should be impossible. <laughs> it really should. Around two points per possession as well. It cannot happen in a playoff game. Like what? Like that's when theoretically that's when things are at their highest intensity, when you have to treasure the ball every possession and when you I mean, usually the game slows down a little bit. That's what they say. Right. I just I, I still can't even believe that that happened, especially against the people were hitting Tom Thibodeau with it last night, like against the guy that if I said, hey, if you wanted somebody to design your defense. And I know that they have not exactly had some kind of great defense since he's been in Minnesota, but he was well known through his time in Boston <laughs> and Chicago as a defensive savant slash guru, whatever you want to say. So not only that, you've got to take the level of competition. It's not some kind of rat team putting along to end the season who just doesn't even give a crap. It's like, a right? it's, a, it's, it's a Tom Thibodeau coached playoff yeah, team for going to say. Sure. But here's the thing. Like I tweeted this last night. So earlier this season, an NBA executive was talking, we were chatting with each other about the Rockets and he's like, I love watching them play because they always trust the math. Right. And so this series, Houston has had some rocky quarters. They lost a game to Minnesota in game three. And this first half, they weren't perfect. They were missing some shots they would normally hit. But they did trust the math. They continued playing their same exact style of play, shooting threes, isolating, really avoiding the mid-range except for a couple instances towards the end of the clock. But they trusted their system. And, and really, 
really that's what that's what led to that quarter, obviously. I mean, it, it's close without saying, but there are other teams where they go away from what makes them so good when things aren't going well. Houston has never had that issue. There was one play in the third quarter last night, Chris, that sticks out to me. That shows this more than anything else. I believe, I think it was late in the third quarter, Nene got an offensive rebound, and a big man's instinct is to go right back up with that ball, even like four or five feet away from the rim. But he kicked it out to, I believe, P.J. Tucker in the corner, and he hits a wide-open three. Players have almost been trained to ignore their instincts, like going back up for an offensive rebound putback, like a little hook shot. Instead, they're looking for shooters, uh, and I, that's what I love watching about Houston as well. They always trust the math, and they perfectly execute their system. Sometimes it doesn't work out, but when it does, we get nights like last night in the third quarter. I would normally not do this because the last thing on earth I would want to do is breach your trust with me and said executive, but I, do, I will reveal to everybody that that executive that you spoke to that said, I really love watching the Rockets, they always trust the math, was Daryl Morey. <laughs> but if if Daryl is listening, I think hashtag trust the math is a pretty solid slogan for the Houston Rockets. In all seriousness, there is the, the one downside to that, and it, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention it, is yes, you do get moments like last night. Yes, it is nice to celebrate that they never give in they do what they do and it either works out or it doesn't and 90 percent of the time it works out okay but they stuck to their guns last year and they decided that we're not gonna take what is open which is the middle of the court and it buried them sure it buried them against san antonio, san antonio decided we're running you off the three-point line and we're gonna try to protect the rim which are the two things that you want to do And instead of, and that's where Paul comes in, because Paul will demolish you in that open space. You see teams doing it now. You saw it last night. I mean, listen, if it weren't for James Harden's 22 points in the third quarter, Paul's 15 would have gotten a lot of shine. A 15-point quarter is a big quarter for somebody. Um, And so Paul is kind of the guy that will get in that open area and make you pay for constantly running them off the line. But they did stick to their guns to a fault last year, and it sent them home earlier than maybe they should have been sent home. Is that fair? Yeah, it's definitely fair. And I think that certainly is the difference this year where even in that third quarter last night, I believe they hit three or four shots from mid-range. The the thing is, is like when it comes to mid-range, it's about when are you taking that shot Right Mm -hmm. at the point of the shot clock, taking a mid-range jumper with 19, 20 seconds left is not a good shot, is never a good shot, really. But if you're doing that when there's five seconds left, six seconds left, that's when Houston has the ability to take that shot because of Chris Paul, as you said, but also James Harden. James Harden is one of the best scorers, you know, stepping back, pulling up from three-point range. He is as well for mid-range. He just doesn't do it. But they have the capability to do that. And we saw a couple of instances of that last night. Yeah, they uh, shot for the game 61% from the field, 69% from three, I believe, right? in That third, that was in the third quarter. Nice. 61%, 69% from three. Wow. Unbelievable uh, night. Okay, so let's talk about the other side of that, which is Minnesota and the way they have performed. Um you know, you had all of the last night was going to be the real test because first game home, even in series that the that one team typically dominates, 
I, I talked about this last week. Game three is the one you can get. Uh, especially when you haven't been in the playoffs in over a decade, your, your crowd's going to be totally on fire. It's a life or death. You know, you cannot go down. Oh, three. And so if, if there is a game in, uh, in what is typically a non-competitive series, that's the one to get, but you only get that once, right? You only get that fever pitch that, you know, hornet's nest type crowd. You really only get that for game three. And then by game four, that has subsided because it's just you know, it's a natural flow of things. And so that was the test last night. And they were, I mean, you know, listen, for half, they were right there. And then that third quarter just got absolutely positively bombed out. So what do we make of Minnesota and what has happened in this series and kind of their trajectory going forward? Like, let's just say what we expect to happen happens which is they go and they get popped in game five. And so Houston has made quick work of them. What do we look at if we're sitting back with that Minnesota team and forecast the future? I think it's important to keep in mind that they're still a relatively young team. Towns is 22. Wiggins is 23. It's their first playoff experience for those guys. Maybe it'll be a benefit for them to go through it once, losing in five or six, whatever ends up happening in the series. They need more from both those guys, obviously. Wiggins showed what he can be in Game 3, but then in Game 4 he showed who he is and what a lot of people view him as and always will view him as, an inconsistent guy who plays up and down defense and scores inefficiently. That's what Wiggins was in Game 4, whereas in Game 3 he was really picking his spots offensively and defending at a pretty high level over the course of the game. And then with Carl Anthony Towns, uh, it's frustrating because he was one of the best offensive centers really ever since he's gotten into the league. And, you know, he didn't have a bad game last night looking at the box score, 22 points on 9 of 15, but it doesn't feel like he had a, a good offensive game. There was a lot of missed opportunities. He wasn't really creating in the post as much as you would hope that he would. They need more from those young guys, especially next season ahead of Jimmy Butler hitting free agency in the year 2019. They're at a crossroads entering this next season more so than probably maybe it, it feels like they are because of Butler's looming free agency in 2019. Uh, ultimately, what's going to keep him there is the team being a winner. And for them to be a winner, they're going to need Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins to to grow up on the floor perhaps a little bit sooner than they, they might be able to. I've made some excuses for Towns because he is a guy that can go all the way out to the three-point line and and be super effective. He is just an immense talent. And so some of it I do blame on teammates and system, um, given the series that he has had, which the first two games were absolutely abysmal. Any other, quote, star in the league would have gotten absolutely throttled for the games that they that he put up. I mean, you're talking, I mean, anybody could do what he did. Anybody. Um you could throw any guy from the G League in and he could get you the numbers that Towns did in the first two games. That being said, <laughs> I do. Well, that's true. It was just bad. I do wonder, and I want to get your thoughts on this because you do draft class every Friday. I have watched these playoffs and it has made me think long and hard about the upcoming NBA draft, which is littered with big guys. And the fact that they can be made not necessarily irrelevant, but that, you know, you've got the Gobert's, who is a putback guy, a rim protector. Uh, same kind of thing on the other side with Capella. Most of these other guys, when you're talking about the Embiid's and you're talking about the Anthony Davis, these guys are total freaks of nature who you can throw them the ball 27 feet away from the basket. And they can cross you over and get a bucket. 
But I do wonder, do you look at these playoffs and you look at how big guys, there are many stretches where it's just like, sometimes they're made totally unplayable, like in Whiteside's case before Embiid came back. Um, And then other times it's like, well, what's the point, right? What's the point of Carl Anthony Towns? We're going to get you four points or whatever the hell it is. Do you look at that and look at the draft and go, eh, maybe I should recalibrate a little bit because the way the NBA is played right now is just bad for these guys. Sure. Jonathan Chark said something interesting uh, on a pod a couple weeks ago on draft class where he mentioned how maybe the big man that teams desire moving forward is more like the Clint Capella type. And, you know, there's a couple guys in this year's draft that more resemble that type of player. Robert Williams, a, a Mitchell Robinson type, a Mo Bamba. I'm not necessarily sold on those guys playing the Capella role. But then again, Capella was drafted in the 20s as well. And he was a project coming in. So sometimes it can be I loved Capella as a prospect, but it, it can be hard to predict how good they will be because Capella has improved so much in, in little areas as a screener in terms of defensive positioning. His body has improved. His conditioning has improved. His at-room finishing has gotten better. Everything's better, and he's in a perfect system for his skill set. That's right. I don't yes. want to knock him, but Clint, if Clint Capella, yeah. if you sent Clint Capella to another team, you'd never hear from him again. Yes, you would hear from him, but he wouldn't. But it would just be it would, whatever. It would be, it would be different. It would be different than it is in Houston. I mean, he's on the other end of Chris Paul and James Harden passes. Well, sure, but he's also a, he's <laughs> I mean, also a terrific defensive player. One of the probably one of the better big men at switching onto guards. That's fair. Camille can do a lot of things on the floor, and he's a great rebounder, and he's gotten better as a passer. So that that's where it's like you look at some of the guys in the draft. It's it's hard to predict progress in those areas. Like taking a great athlete doesn't guarantee that they improve little skills like passing and screening, um, which is the question with someone like Mo Bamba, but. I still think big men matter, Chris. I still, I know you hate DeAndre Ayton, but there's still value in having a scoring big man. If Carl Anthony Towns becomes more consistent on the defensive end of the floor, if he if he continues making progress on that end, and and he continues being one of the best offensive centers in basketball, there's value in that. There's a lot of value. Of course, in it, of, course like of course, there's value. But but those guys that you've mentioned that have had some real success, these guys are rim protectors. Gobert. Embiid, Capella, Draymond, these guys that are playing that role, even Durant when they threw him at the five last year, for God's sakes. These guys are guys that are really protecting the rim. Yeah. Yeah. And so sure. and, and and that's their greater value than necessarily what they bring offensively. I'm saying the offensively minded big man. It's Embiid and it's Davis are the ones that are having the high level of success. And that's because you can throw the ball to them 30 feet from the basket and they very well may just drive in on you. <laughs> You're right. There does need to be a rim protection element. I mean, you see that across the league, whether a guy's a shot blocker or not. Like, you know, obviously, Joel Embiid is one of the game's best shot blockers. We see it with him. And with Boston, you have Al Horford, who's more of a positional defender. Even in Toronto, Jacob Pertle, a young player, has shown that he's pretty good defensively, even though he's had some rougher moments this series. There, there does need to be a rim protection element. I do think you're right about that, Chris. Yep. All right, let's move on to the other game that took place last night, which is the Utah Jazz and the Oklahoma City Thunder. It was during the offseason that you and I had this discussion. I'll get to the Jazz in a moment. First, let's focus on Oklahoma City because they are the team that was put together in the offseason and I think blew the doors off of everybody in terms of how in the world. They lost Kevin Durant, and then within an offseason, 
look now. They've got Paul George. They've got Carmelo Anthony. They have already built something that is going to be, uh, that is going to have to be dealt with. And the big discussion that we and everybody else in the free world had is how is it all going to fit? Um, who's going to play the quote Bosch role, as it were? And I think we agreed that that needed to be Carmelo Anthony. And here we are. Their season is, I mean, they're, they're now one game away from going fishing and they still never figured it out. Right. Like, I mean, they didn't. It just didn't. It never took. It never like there were there were the early struggles of those Miami teams. um, And there have been early struggles of others that have been thrown together, even when LeBron first went with Kyrie and Kevin Love. It's just figuring out how it all works together. And here we are with them one game away from elimination. And you watch last night, and it's like, okay, if you want to say Carmelo's the Bosch role, it's like he just takes a bunch of threes and he misses all of them, right? <laughs> like, I mean, like, you know what I mean? Like, I guess that was the difference. Bosch hit him. <laughs> Remember when Chris Bosch, like, out of nowhere, was starting to shoot threes, and that was like a shot yeah. in the early 2010s. And now, yeah, and we doing kept it. <laughs> on, and and you and I, and we kept on saying it's still the talent, and if it ever clicks, well. Think how much time for yeah. it to click, Kev. I think I think we've got to come to the realization it ain't gonna click. No, it's not. They they are who we thought they were. Really, they yep. they they never became who we thought they could be. It's sad in a way, especially seeing someone like Carmelo Anthony. He just he can't hit a shot. He's had he's had so many games this season where he's an O for. I know. I think it was against the Warriors last uh, earlier this month during the regular season when he was like O for eight or O for nine from three. He's had way too many of these games. It's just kind of sad to watch. Well, here's the thing. And I bet me and you are actually going to be on the same page on this regarding Sam Presti. Okay. So they moved. It was a second rounder, Cantor and McDermott is what they gave up to get Carmelo. And I know there's a bunch of revisionist history about this. You'd do that again a hundred times, wouldn't you? You do it. Of course. You take a crack at it. Someone put it like this to me last year when they traded for Paul George. This is a, quote, no-risk trade for them. And it was the same thing for going for Carmelo Anthony as well. And granted, yeah, it turned out that it, it was a risk because Victor Oladipo was turned into an all-NBA guy who might get some, uh, like, top five MVP votes. So it turned out maybe it wasn't the best choice, but Oladipo wouldn't have necessarily gotten the opportunity to turn into that player. It's hard to say. It's a perfect Monday morning quarterback, though, because yeah, I is. do think, yeah. I think you can have two opinions on this, right? A, they would have been, I believe they would be better if they would have never made that trade. I do. Yeah. On the other hand, I think, right? Sure. But I don't, I, I can't kill the guy. I can't yeah. kill the guy for making the trade. Of course not. But I think in retrospect, they would have been better. And I say that because there was a game earlier this year at Golden State where Carmelo was out and the Westbrook George thing looked like old Westbrook Durant thing. And they just punked out. Uh, the Warriors, and they kind of, it was like having the two of them could create this devastation, and they were both simultaneously awesome. But when you throw in that third guy, that's not a role player person at all. He's just not a role player. Um, It made everything, it screwed everything up. It really did. I think they would have, I think if they would have sat Carmelo Anthony, they'd be better off in this series. 
I know that sounds crazy, but I believe that. It doesn't, though, because they've had certain stretches where they have been better without Melo. Remember when they beat Golden State earlier this year? Melo got hurt early yeah. in the game. Jeremy yeah, Grant that's what played, I said. Yeah. yeah, Jeremy Grant played big minutes, and he was yes. awesome. So may, maybe, look, and Thunder fans have criticized Billy Donovan a lot. Um, I was reading some stuff last night. Some fans are calling for him to be fired and whatnot. I think Billy Donovan's a good coach. But I do think if there's one thing you can knock him for is maybe he should just pull the plug on Carmelo Anthony and say, you know what? We're in this to win this. In order to do it, our best hope is with Jeremy Grant because Carmelo Anthony doesn't get it done on defense, doesn't get it done as a passer. Grant is a far more versatile player on both ends of the floor. Defensively, he can switch. Offensively, he can shoot threes or roll to the rim, lob dunks. He just does more. He's he's a better player today, which sounds insane to say, but it's it's the truth. Well, well and, I, and I've talked about this a lot throughout the years. It's not necessarily the individual talent. It's how it all fits together. Yes. And, you know, I lived through this years ago. There is nobody in the free world that would have rather had, if I lined them both up, would have rather had Tayshaun Prince than Rudy Gay. But the but the Grizzlies made a trade and they acquired Tayshaun Prince and it enabled them to become a team that was a lockdown defensive team. It put more on Marcus Gasol and Mike Conley, who were more efficient players. Like those shots weren't going to, if you took Rudy Gay's 18 shots off the board, well, like, Six of them or eight of them were going to Tayshawn. The other ones were going to go to more efficient players, and it enabled them to make a run to the East, uh, Western Conference Finals. Um, the same thing goes with Oklahoma City, I believe. It's the way it all fits together. It's I honestly feel that way about Minnesota and Wiggins. There are these guys that are so immensely talented that it's hard to play great team basketball with. It's... Rudy Gay, it's Jeff Green, it's Andrew Wiggins. There, there's a ton of them, and they are tantalizing, and they are mega athletes, and they are outstanding individual players. Uh, and Carmelo is kind of like if I was having like a you know he's like the godfather of them, right? <laughs> and then you yeah. and then you branch <laughs> off, and then right, you know. So so Carmelo Anthony beget Rudy Gay, who beget Andrew Wiggins, who beget Jeff Green, and they're all kind of like that same, you know, offense first, small forward. And I think it's I think it's very very difficult to to play like cohesive team basketball with guys like that. And I don't know. I mean, you, like I said, I, mean, I don't think you can bang Presti for making to, no, for taking you, the you shot, can't. but he clearly they would have been better off if they still had what they had and just had never made that deal. And as you're talking about how the pieces don't necessarily fit perfectly together for Oklahoma city, I'm, I'm thinking about Utah and how they all seem to fit at just, it, it it's perfect. It, it's a perfect yes. fit for this team. And, and they, they've been able to expose those holes in Oklahoma City, especially last night in the third quarter, uh, when they when they built their lead uh, o- to open the half, and they were just picking apart Oklahoma City's defense, and and it, Ricky Rubio getting easy penetration, Joe Ingles getting open shot after open shot. Um, this Utah team really just fits together, no matter who they plug in, whether it's Royce O'Neal coming off the bench, who has been terrific, um, Jay Crowder, yep. who still can't hit a shot, but he's been better defensively. All the pieces fit together for Utah, and it's a joy to watch them. They really fit together, and I will say that, um, you know, people can bust up Billy Donovan or or Carmelo Anthony, whoever they want to, right? The guy that deserves the blame is Russ. I'm a Russ guy. He's been awful. He, You cannot have your guy leading you in field goal attempts, which is he's, he's taken 79 field goal attempts. 
and he has shot 37% from the field. He yeah. also guides an offense that went last night. I mean, this is on him, man. He Number one, uh, the fourth foul destroyed him, right? And then he was just wildly out of control throughout that game, and he... You know, he is the guy that gets the ball coming out most of the time last night coming out of the net. They had they went 22 minutes without an assist. 22 minutes, Kevin. That's like impossible. Like you're playing. There are five guys on the court. Like, how did you not have a pass that led to a basket for 22 minutes? (laughs) And so, you know, Russ, he's he just, he's had a terrible series. He really yeah. has. He really has. And, and when you talk all that shit, you can't, you can't go out and be bad again. And that's, that's my issue with a lot of Thunder fans' complaints about Billy Donovan. Like last night, I, I just was browsing the Oklahoma City subreddit. And these are, these are just some of the comments. This is just a couple that I, I, I've read. Quote, I'm sick of Billy Donovan and this pickup ball offensive scheme. Quote, this is another one. This should be the wake-up call to fire Billy and implement an offensive system that creates open looks, not bricks. And then there's a third one. Quote, no ball movement, no off-the-ball play, no offensive strategy slash rotation changes. What is Billy doing? And I understand some of the concerns with the offensive system, but my question back would be, could it be that part of the issue with the offense is Russell Westbrook's unwillingness to change? Because Billy Donovan was an adaptable coach in Florida. He, he ran a couple different schemes there over the years when it changed, but most of them had motion concepts, and he he's talked about that a lot to the media, about how Oklahoma City needs to have better ball movement, better player movement. So if he's saying that to, to the public with a microphone in his face, what do you think he's telling his players? But the thing is, is he can't install that system because the star player, Westbrook, who is unbelievable. He is a fantastic player and deserves a load of credit for improving as much as he has over the years. But Westbrook still has that bad habit of needing to pound the ball, drive into traffic, and just really do whatever he wants. And I think Westbrook is still the primary problem with them not being able to take that next leap because this team should be so much better than it is. Westbrook needs to, written about this a hundred times, we've talked about it a hundred times, he needs to become a better off-ball player and a more consistent defender. He needs to become a smarter overall player. And, and it's so frustrating because he has it. He can do it. We've seen little, we've seen flashes of this in the past, especially in the early days of Oklahoma City, Chris. It's there. He just needs to want to do it. And that's that's what's so frustrating to me. Well, and he can play make. I mean, listen, he he averaged over a triple oh, double. Yeah, he can. And, yeah, I mean, it's just gotten, a matter of he's gotten so much better at playmaking too over the years. From what he came into yeah. the league to what he is now, it's remarkable. I know. And well, here's the thing. I saw uh, uh, our buddy Zach Harper um, put this up last night, and this was shocking. Say whatever you want about net ratings and whether you should be able to extrapolate these um, to make a real point. But it, 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 I think it is at least interesting to note that in the four games that these two teams have played thus far, the Thunder, uh, the net ratings for Russell Westbrook are minus 13 points on court plus 12, uh, almost 13 off the court, a 26 point difference. Rubio plus 16 when he's on the court, minus 15 when he's off the court, a 31 point swing. And so those are, I mean, it is just, you all, you almost never see a player the caliber of Russell Westbrook. There's almost no circumstance where I could fathom 
that his team would be better with him off the court. Like that just how? How how is that possible? Especially when the rest of their team sucks. You know what I mean? Like they don't have <laughs> they got those guys, all right? Like at, once you get past their starting lineup, like you cannot tell me that you should be better with Jeremy Grant, Ray Felton, Alex of Brains, and yeah, whoever well, the I, hell. On off stuff is tough though, because I get it. Russ is on the court when Utah's other best players are on the court too. Whereas when when, when Raymond Felton's in the game, <laughs> it's in all likelihood going against reserves, and that's just not last night, but over the course of the full season too. But um, but still, I don't care who he's going against. Like the fact that when you're off the court, your team is winning is bananas. Yeah, sure. I gotta add this about Russ. Like you and I right now, we're bashing bashing Russ, but he's an unbelievable player who has made unbelievable progress ever since he entered the league, and that's just. That's where I don't think it's unfair to expect a little bit more from him in areas that are not super hard to improve when it comes to cutting off ball or screening or running through screens. That's something that you want to do, right? Defending is something you want to do, which he said after game three, I'm going to shut that shit off. And he comes out, start a game four, and he's putting full court pressure. A lot of these things are about wanting to do it, and I just wish he wanted to do those things more. That's all. Okay, because I do have something to bitch about. What this this is ESPN, and I'm listen, and that that the whole organization as a whole. But them posting that video last night. Did you see this after the game? <laughs> I did. Russell Westbrook <laughs> said he was going to shut that shit down. Look at this hustle. Yeah, like that's basically what it said. And funny. then it was like a highlight <laughs> clip of him playing defense, and I'm like. <laughs> number one, they got their ass kicked. And number two, and the, he didn't shut anything down. And, and there was three. Like, what? There was like three fouls on the video. <laughs> yeah, I was like, what is going on here? And are, hey, could could anybody even mention the score here? Like, I get the whole like you know sometimes the, the smaller markets have a chip on their shoulder. They're not on TV all that much. But like that is the perfect <laughs> example of like I, I, if I'm a jazz fan, I'm like, what the. F- Fuck it. What? Yeah. How how is there a highlight video of Russell Westbrook sure. after this game? But you want to know why like, it was what? created? Because twenty six hundred retweets, over ten thousand likes. Because there's a lot of fans out there who are going to eat that up, and they sure as hell did. Because Russell Westbrook <sighs> has, you know, Russell Westbrook ha- has. I get it. Has his big supporter to look. That's why I just said what I said a little bit earlier. He's an unbelievable player, but that doesn't mean you can't ask for more greatness from him, right? Oh, they're, you're they're, scared. You're scared no, of the Westbrook stands. No, no because yeah, you are. No, because yeah, I, no, you I'm are. I'm trying to find common ground, Chris. I, because when it comes to bashing <laughs> Westbrook, nobody's saying he's a bad player. He's an he's a terrific player. He's really oh, unbelievable. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that you can't ask for more from him or any other player. Oh, for, for that sure. Matter. LeBron. LeBron tried improving his free throw percentage and his three point shot last offseason, and he's LeBron James. If LeBron, if LeBron is trying to make improvements, every other player should be too, including Russell Westbrook. Have you ever run into to Westbrook stands? I've dealt person, with that. Never, never. No, no, no. I mean that the, on the oh, internet. So on the internet. I oh, yeah. I thought you meant in real life. Oh, I've never dealt with that hive. <laughs> Look, I've written a lot of. Russell Westbrook article. Don't even speak to me after I said. Yeah. Don't even speak to me after I've set off the hinky hive. There's nothing like that. (laughs) I tell you this. I said. I I was telling my buddy last week. You know what I need? Because I said something years ago about Rihanna, and I got the Navy mad, and and obviously I see the Beyonce (laughs) stuff, (laughs) and I'm like, and I'm like, here's here's what I need to happen because I need Sam Hinky to go online, and I need him to tweet that like. 
I don't know, like Beyonce's <laughs> not the real queen, Rihanna is, and F. Justin Bieber. And just get like all the Navy and the Beehive and the Beliebers and these hinky uh, cultists. I need them all to like, all arguing and then like just the internet blow up because like it, it, it's it's like a, it's a subculture of which I was totally unaware. But I'm now alerted to the fact that Westbrook has these. I didn't know. Maybe well, I've just never slandered him. No, th- th- yeah, there, there are, there are. It, it's, it's really. I mean, what you're touching on is about fandom over facts. Uh, the, the online phenomenon that's really going across the world. Put it this way: when you write an article with the headline "The Thunder Have a Russell Westbrook Problem," you get it. You get. The oh heat. God! And it's fine. Because uh, understood. I, I feel good about my Russell Westbrook take that he can be better than he already is. Well, I'll tell you this: you know what take we should feel the best about? Anybody can go back and do this, and I did it. Just to make sure what I believed happened, happened. There were two in the middle of July podcasts that you and I did. One in person in Las Vegas and then another yeah, after. Fun. And what a view. we are <laughs> we are the Donovan Mitchell hipsters. We are. There's no it's way around the truth. this. It's we the are truth. the Donovan <laughs> Mitchell the hipsters. And yeah. we have the damn audio to prove it way before the rest of the, the world was on this. There's two in <laughs> July of 2017. I had seen him in the Utah Summer League. I saw him in Vegas Summer League. And and you had written about him. And in fact, mm. there is there's well, a one moment you where you go that. on a monologue. <laughs> you go on a monologue talking about how you thought he was one of nine players that could end up being the best player. Now, people can say, uh, who gives a damn about Summer League? Yeah, we can overreact to Summer League. You remember when whoever, Andrea Bagnani or whoever was great in summer league and all, you know, there was, you and I were both on this kid way back when. And I think it's fair to say that while we were Donovan Mitchell hipsters, um, and I went back and looked on Twitter. I had people in like October that tweeted me like, uh, find somebody that loves you like Chris Burton loves Donovan Mitchell. His success now has made me so happy. I know it has you too. But 110 points in four playoff games, the most by a rookie since Jordan had 117 in his first playoff games. Um, I think it is fair to say, though we were Mitchell hipsters, though we were both huge believers in this kid's level of success going forward, it is unfathomable (laughs) how good he is, how quickly. I hate to toot my own horn, but like seeing Mitchell shine the way he has has me like Tiger Woods fist pumping like in the 2000s like that, that like that's what it's like it just feels so good to see him excelling but I gotta say this not to like you know just rain our on our own parade here but I had him ranked 10th and that's higher than I believe most outlets had him but it's like that's still too low what was it that held me back or held others back from just totally falling head over heels in love with him as a prospect. Granted, you're right. Like we said, you know, I I wrote about him. I said, he'll beat the steal from the 11 to 17 range. You're right. We loved him in summer league, but it's like you and I still probably would have taken a Dennis Smith ahead of him. If we, if we were the GM drafting at eight or nine, we we still might've taken Jonathan Isaac ahead of him. Right. So it's like, to me, that's a lesson. The next time there's a Mitchell, I don't think there's a Mitchell in this year's draft necessarily. But if there's a guy that's a Mitchell that you're like, man, why is this guy right? 20 by every outlet. I think I think he can become the best in the draft. I don't I, I think for me it's a lesson. Don't be afraid of those feelings, right? <laughs> like don't don't like look at it objectively still, but also don't don't hesitate to do something completely different than than everybody else. I said this to my buddy the other day when we were talking about hoops. 
Now listen to the because obviously we're talking about the Grizzlies and and, and the pick that they're going to have at the top of the draft, right? No matter, yeah. right? It's all the debate. When your team stinks, that's what you end up talking about. And I said this jokingly, but I'm not so sure it should necessarily be a joke. If you have an insanely high level, uh, a high level player in this upcoming draft, right? People are going to scoff at this, and you may scoff at this, but I'm being serious. You know what I've got to find out about all these guys? What's up? Who plays an instrument? Yeah. Okay. Well, I think it's a thing. Because Jalen... But I'm biased. No, Jalen Brown, right, is Piano. is like this yeah. unbelievable musician. Okay. And you know what makes me think of that? Is when, when you said, what did we miss? It's like so many times what you miss is like how a guy is wired. Mm-hmm. You know, we joke about Danny Ainge's, uh, you know, brain doctor or whatever he is. But like, there is something to that. And the instrument thing... The reason I may, it made me think of it the other day, it was uh, – now, nobody watched this show because I've mentioned it to a bunch of people and nobody watched it. So sat All-Star Weekend on Saturday, on TNT, they start early in the day and they run all manner of these different shows, right? Um, like, you know, it, it, like the Shaq and Kobe conversation and like best plays of the year and whatever, Right. One of the shows they did, and I've never heard anybody mention it, but I happened to be sitting on my couch on a Saturday afternoon when this was going on. They had a talent show. Do you know what I'm talking about? No. It was basically <laughs> NBA NBA players show their talents, right? And then like Shaq and whoever were like judging them on their talents. So like one guy would sing and one guy would tell jokes. And I remember, uh, who was it? Terrence Ross. Terrence Ross was like a, like a professional level gamer, right? Like video games. And so they had him come in and play against, uh, you know, some professional game or whatever. Donovan Mitchell was on that. Oh, he was on that show. Drummer, drummer, right? He played drums and he put on the headset and he said, uh, I'm going to play what was like my favorite song and the song I learned to play drums with. And he played Danny California by the Red Hot Chili Peppers, right? And I was (laughs) like, what? Right? And so it made me think the other day, um, cause I was saying something to somebody about Jalen Brown and I was like, maybe we just need to find a guy that played an instrument. And I said, well, I'll be damned. I said, Donovan Mitchell, I saw him playing an instrument. I said, we just need to figure out who plays instruments, <laughs> who plays an instrument because that's two for two when I'm going these playoff guys who like, they're both guys that have gone absolutely off and become stars in the playoffs and when Jalen Brown was drafted three, people went, what the hell? And when Donovan Mitchell, now in retrospect, we go, how in the hell did he fall? And I will tell you, that's one thing they both have in common. If you ever see them interviewed, they are incredibly articulate, smart kids, and they're both musicians. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm doing my research to find out which of these high-level players plays an instrument. Right now, I'm, I'm tweeting DeAndre and <laughs> do you know how to play any musical instruments asking for Chris Vernon <laughs> right now. I'm tweeting him that. Okay. Do, I'm just, I'm just it. do you know how to play any musical instruments asking for Chris Vernon? Thank you. Okay. Hopefully DeAndre gets back to me. I'll, I'll do some research on that for you, Chris, <laughs> but if, the, if DeAndre I, I plays, need... if he like shreds on guitar, does that change your opinion of DeAndre? hundred <laughs> percent. It would yes, change mine. I'll be all in. <laughs> Cause it's all the last in. thing I, I will be all in. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe there's something, maybe there's something to it. I don't know. Like the discipline that it takes to become a, a you know, a musician, it's not the end all be all right. I'm just saying that it's interesting that 
these two kids both shocked me with their musical abilities, and they are both guys that have become stars in the playoffs. I think there's two elements to it. For one, you're right. The way these guys tick is really the the key to figuring it all out. And with Mitchell, you can never say it's obvious, but we're certainly a lot of indicators that Mitchell had it, right? And that was part of the appeal for me with him, you know, and, and assessing him as a prospect. Never mind his level of improvement from year one to year two at Louisville. It felt like he had it, and, and boy, he, he certainly does. Um, every interview he does, every post-game interview, the grace in which he, he really talks about his teammates and, and how it's really not about him as much as it's the team. And granted, he also does the, you know, the zipper emoji stuff um, every time he has a good game. But Mitchell's confidence... His style of play, really fantastic. And then, I don't know if we can turn to you, Isaac, but I'm curious for your take on musicians and maybe how that can affect other areas of life, whether it's sports or something else. I think there is something, too, maybe in terms of the ability to learn or, or, or pick up new things. Sure. I mean, I don't know. All I can tell you is I play six, seven instruments, but I am not in the NBA. So uh, I don't know how much that's linked. You know what I mean? You still have to have the physical ability. You still have to have the talent. No, this is what I believe, and you'll, I think you'll agree with this, Isaac. It takes real discipline. Yes. Yeah. And that is, in this day and age, when you were talking about young people and drafting them, sometimes that discipline, it can carry over. I'm not trying to become a psychologist here, but I'm telling you that if you have that ability, if you have that discipline to be able to sit down and learn an instrument, because instead of giving up on it, because when you are 19 or you are 20, and they're throwing millions of dollars in your pockets, and now you're traveling from city to city to city, in order to become great, there is a discipline to it. Um, it's funny. You go back in time to, the, to Westbrook, right? And uh, I remember when Michael Beasley came here uh, last year, we were talking about, uh, uh, oh, David Fisdale was talking about Russell Westbrook and his MVP candidacy. And he said, you know what? And he said, I could have told you the minute I met that kid, that he was going to be a star. And he said, I'm not doing this to speak ill of bees because I love Beasley. And he said, but we drafted Michael Beasley number two overall. And he said, and we were going to go to a morning workout in Vegas for their draft picks, right? He said, we show up at like 830. And he's like, Westbrook has been there for an hour and a half. And he is pouring with sweat. And he's like, and Beasley like never showed up. He said, one of our guys had to go get him up out of the hotel. <laughs> like they had to go wake him up. And he was like, oh no. But he, it, it, he was saying that not as a, as a demerit to Beasley as much as a credit to Westbrook. But it is one of those things, right? From the moment Westbrook walked in the NBA, he had a discipline about him to where he's in Las Vegas, Nevada. And when all these other guys are going out, um, you know, they got money for the first time and they're in the best place in the world to have a bunch of money and go act like a kid. Um, he's there at the gym, you know, at 630 when he doesn't have to be. And so I do think that's the way it right. That if you're good at instruments, that means that you stuck with it and that you have a, a level of discipline in your life or that ability. You agree? I think that's true, right? Certainly. Yeah. Agreed. 
All right, Kev, we'll get right back to it. But first, we got to hear from ZipRecruiter hiring. Every business needs great people and a better way to find them. Something better than posting your job online and just praying for the right people to see it. ZipRecruiter knew there was a smarter way, so they built a platform that finds the right job candidates for you. ZipRecruiter learns what you're looking for, identifies the people with the right experience, and invites them to apply for your job. These invitations have revolutionized how you find your next hire. In fact, 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. And ZipRecruiter doesn't stop there. They even spotlight the strongest applications you receive so you never miss a great match. The right candidates are out there. ZipRecruiter is how you find them. Businesses of all sizes trust ZipRecruiter for their hiring needs. Right now, our listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash RingerNBA. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash RingerNBA. One more time, ZipRecruiter.com slash RingerNBA. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. And now, back to the show. All right, let's touch on these other ones real quick, Kev. All right, I read the craziest thing this morning. You know, the Wizards closed that game against Toronto the other night with uh, John Wall, Kelly Oubre, Otto Porter, uh, Markeith Morris, and Gortat because Beal got fouled out. Um, Kara Lawson said this. That closing lineup, which is not some kind of abnormal lineup, you would figure that might be the lineup if Beal was sitting. Wall, Ubre, Porter, Morris, Gortat. Those five players were never in the game together as a unit the entire season. How is that possible? How is that possible? That's what they closed with and won that game with. And they had never been on the court together as a collection of five players. Can you believe that? That that is that is very surprising. And the sixth foul on Beal was bullshit, but they ended up winning that game. Mm. The Wizards have been a radically different team at home than they've been on the road. Do you now give them a chance uh against Toronto or do you think it was, hey, they won their home games, they'll probably win their other home game, but they don't get a game 7 at home. Do you think that series goes 7? I don't I don't think they're winning game 5. That's for sure. Then they win game six at home. Especially and they, with the energy that's going to be in that, that Toronto crowd um, for game five. Uh, I don't see how Washington can steal game five. But certainly the Raptors have been worse than they were in the regular season, and the Wizards have been better than they were in the regular season. I know that's a really basic thing to say, but... You know what? The Raptors really miss Van Vliet. They do. Well, sure, yeah. I think Van, Van Vliet is kind of the glue to their bench. But yeah. Washington has been better. Beal and Wall are playing at a really high level right now. Granted, like you said, it was home games. Toronto sometimes falls back into that old habit where they just it's like flashbacks to the past with some of the isolation habits that they fall into. That's a little concerning, but uh, they also looked great in games one and two, right? Um, they looked like the new Toronto Raptors. So, so I do think Toronto wins game five, and I think they, they still win the series, but Washington has certainly really closed the gap. I tweeted this the other day. I, I think um, this kind of says just the way I feel about the series. If, if, if you forgot everything that happened in the regular season, wouldn't this feel like more like a 3-6, Chris, or a 4-5 series? It feels pretty evenly matched to me. I think they all feel pretty evenly matched, honestly. Yeah. Like Buck Celtics does. I, yep. Obviously, the Sixers have pulled away from the heat. All right, let me use Google Assistant because I'm going to ask you about one of two different series. If it's heads, I'm going to ask you first about the Celtics and the Bucks. If it's tails, I'm going to ask you about the Pelicans and uh, what we believe to be the Warriors. Hey, Google, flip a coin. All right. You got tails. 
All right, Tails it is. All right, so I presupposed that the Warriors are going to win the series. Tell me you agree on that, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right, so we agree that they're going to win the series. That being said, do the, the, the question that everybody's talking about is, did you get done watching the Pelicans bomb out the Blazers and think they can put the fear of God in the Warriors and or beat them? Um. So I touched on this a little bit in my article on Monday, Chris. I don't think they're not going to beat Golden State, but uh, it, it's certainly going to be a challenge um, for both teams because uh, for New Orleans, you know what what you did aggressively on defense by you know trapping and blitzing the pick and rolls of Portland. Portland ran you know like the top five most amount of pick and rolls in the league this year, whereas Golden State doesn't run a ton of pick and rolls. So. Uh, New Orleans' aggressive strategy maybe won't have as much of importance in the series against Golden State. Um, and for the Warriors, they still need to figure out ways to score um, with with just Kevin Durant and Klay Thompson <laughs> uh, and no Stephen Curry, which sounds stupid to say, um, but it's kind of the truth in a way. Without Steph, New Orleans has a chance to get a game or two. I still they're not gonna. I don't think they push to seven, but it is worth saying, Anthony Davis. Is yep. arguably, I mean, I'd take KD, but you could make an argument, and I wouldn't necessarily fight back with you that Anthony Davis could be the best player in the series. No team, I can say, hey, the Warriors don't have something great to put on him. Nobody does. Nobody there is does. nothing great to yeah. put on him. There is no great, uh, you know, <laughs> there's no great way to guard him. He's too, he's too ridiculous, and he's too unique. You know what I mean? There is no uh, great opposition for him. Well, that's one of the games. So we think the Warriors, I mean, they're like an 11 and a half point favorite. They're going to take care of business and, 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 not, and knock off the Spurs tonight, right? They, they that's should, what I think. yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. The other two early games going to be Celtics Bucks. I think the Celtics get this one. I do against the Bucks. Obviously had a shot at the buzzer um, against them in the last game. This has played to form in terms of the home team winning, and I think it continues to play to form. I, I think I'd be surprised if the Celtics didn't win tonight. What about you? Yeah, I still consider it really a toss-up, but um, Marcus Smart returning yep. will be an interesting X-factor for Boston um, with his defensive versatility. Yep. It means probably a lot less Shane Larkin, I would think, or it could mean less Shemi Ojale. Um, we'll see how Brad yep. Stevens structures his rotations, but Marcus Smart is, is going to really help the Celtics returning to the court with his ability to defend not just guards, but um, bigger guys. Marcus is one of the most versatile defenders in the league. Um, and then obviously Boston has a significant home court advantage as well. And here is the one where we're going to find out if the young Sixers team that has looked so dynamite has the killer instinct to go ahead and, and knock this off. You know, say whatever you want about the Heat. They're a tough team, right? They got a bunch of tough guys, and their backs are totally against the wall. Their season's on the line, so you'd imagine you'll get whatever is their grand slam effort out of them. But they're also a team that's given up 128 points in, <laughs> you know, uh, in multiple games. Uh, this particular series. Do you think the Sixers dispose of the Heat or yes. do we get a game six back in Miami and all of a sudden that becomes, you know, a, a scary proposition where you might have to play a game seven? Yeah, I think it's over. I, I think Philly playing in you front do. of their crazy home crowd um, with Josh Richardson perhaps being limited for Miami with that shoulder injury. I think Philly closes closes this game out. I think I think I believe it was Ben Simmons yesterday or or today at a shoot around said something along the lines of like you know age age 
isn't really a factor with this team. And it, it really isn't. They're a young team. You know, we just talked a little bit earlier about Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins as a youth for those players. With Ben Simmons, it's not a question. He's 21 years old and one of the smartest players in basketball. Yeah, right? He rarely ever yep. makes mistakes. Joel Embiid, granted, sometimes he can be a little bit clumsy with turnovers, but Embiid's still another high-level player with a deep understanding of defense and angles and, and decision-making. Um, they have a lot of smart young players. Dario Saric, playing professional basketball for like eight years now and you go back overseas. Sarge, another high IQ player. J.J. Redick, everybody up and down that roster. Philly Philly has a blend of veterans and youth where I think they close us out tonight and perhaps they really do flex tonight um, against Miami and show that they are a real threat. Interesting. I think it's an opportunity well, for them you to know, do that. I know you're high on the guy. It's a killer for Josh Richardson if he's super limited, right, to yeah. have him out for Miami. That would be a big blow to them. And here's the thing. Um, it's on the road, uh, you know, with a chance to tie up that series, uh, or Miami has a chance to tie it up. And Philadelphia goes seven for 31 from three and turns it over 26 times and still wins. Like, <laughs> what? That team going seven for 31 from three, turning it over 26 <laughs> times and still winning yeah. and scoring 106 points yeah. is just improbable. Joe Allen beat only the two fa- for I mean, 11, that, that eight turnovers. Show, yeah. I mean, that shows you how much better they are. I mean, you can't F up worse than, I mean, you seven for 31 and turned it, uh, turning it over 26 times and winning is an extremely difficult thing to do. Extremely difficult. For sure. And I think that what I'm most impressed by with Philly is early in the season and not even just early up until maybe basically the, around the deadline, Philly routinely collapse at the end of games. I mean, if you look at their net yep. rating quarter by quarter, it was like plus 10 in the first, plus two in the second, even in the third, and like minus eight in the fourth. Like it was pretty consistent. But then in the second half of this season and now in the playoffs, they've gotten so good at closing games and elevating their play in the fourth quarter. They've, they've figured out playing like their connected style on both ends how to close games. And that's something, again, like young teams usually struggle with that like they did early in the season, but they don't feel like a young team. If you didn't know Joel Embiid was only 24 or Simmons was only 21 and that Sarch is you know, still overseas, he's actually not playing, he still hasn't come over yet. If you didn't know those things, you would think, you would think this team has been around. They've been together for a lot of years. And I think that's a testament to their growth over the course of the season and Brett Brown's uh, terrific head coaching job that he's done. Oh, there's no doubt about that. He has done a great job. I lauded him last year, another season, obviously, where they, they lost a bunch of games. And if you just were ever in an arena, though they put out a bad product for a lot of years, if you were ever in the arena, a lesser man would have been totally beaten down by losing almost 300 games. He coached them hard every night. No matter. Yes, he did. And to see him on the other end of this, I I mean, you have to do the pregame interviews. You have to do the postgame interviews. And after all of those losses, and you really just have to be able to swallow your pride and know that if I see this through, you know, there's there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And that light is obviously insanely bright right now. But I give him a lot of credit, man. He, um... He's a coach's coach because no matter the hand he was dealt, he coached those kids hard, and now he's getting to reap the rewards. You know, he deserves this. That's what used to annoy me when people used to be like, oh, the losing culture in Philadelphia. I was like, 
the style these guys are playing is something that they can build on, right? I think they've always... Yeah, well, well, hey, hold on. Let, let's take a little bit of a step back. Most of these guys they weren't part of the losing. Sure. Let's be fair. Okay. <laughs> Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, and J.J. Redick, you know, didn't lose 300 but games. What I'm getting at, though, is that they laid a foundation with their system. They were shooting a lot of three-pointers, and in, in yep. 2013 and 2014, they were really moving the ball offensively. They were playing. They were playing the same, basically the same defensive system that they do now. Not a lot has changed in terms of the system. But what? Yeah, to your point, what has changed is the players. Instead of Nick Stauskas taking nine threes a game, it's JJ Redick and, and Marco Bellinelli. Right. right. I mean, the players have gotten better. No offense to TJ McConnell, Kevin, but Ben Simmons starts now. <laughs> well, that, that's you know I mean? that. That's kind of what I. I mean, but like the system was there. Brett Brown's coaching never should have been knocked or anything like that. And, and no, I don't uh, think it was. I don't think anybody ever blamed him for them losing. I don't know. Maybe they didn't blame him specifically, but there was this thought that like, oh, there's a losing culture there. They're not trying to win games. It's like, yeah, maybe they're not trying to win games by by adding great players, but Brett Brown is certainly still laying a foundation that's good for player development. And we're seeing that with some of the guys who are hanging around from his teams that won 19, 18, 10 games. Uh, <laughs> those are some bad years. Hey, you surprised Fultz gets uh, no run at all? We talked and we thought he might be a factor. I think Brown handled it perfectly. Uh, in the first three games he's the series, Fultz played the first half, um, 14 minutes, five minutes, four minutes. Um, and then in the second half, he hasn't played because it was ineffective in the first half. He gave him an opportunity. Um, Fultz did okay in game one. I, I believe he played second half in that game, but games two and three yeah. didn't, didn't play well at all. There's just too much. There's, uh, and there's too much chemistry and time logged yeah. with McConnell and the other guys. McCon- yes, McConnell is a, is a just really good glue guy. Really good glue guy who can really steer the ship coming off the bench um, for Philadelphia. Right, one-on-one, make it, take it, play to 11. Who wins? TJ McConnell, Matthew Dellavedova. Call it. Uh, Delavadova because his defensive intensity is ridiculous. How about you? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to play. I don't want to play Delavadova one on one either. Yeah, yeah, okay. I don't want to play Delavadova one on one either. <laughs> uh, but it's funny. That's what made you think when you were like, "You're just a great glue guy." And <laughs> like, listen, you need to have a war between McConnell and Delavadova. Delly's play at the end of that half was hilarious, man. It, it picking that ball up and hitting the hitting the little scoop that was hysterical. One quick aside, why do some people consider glue guy a knock? Because I I called Michigan State prospect Miles Bridges a glue guy on Twitter, and someone was like, he's not a glue guy. He's going to be a great player. And it's like some of the most important players are glue guys. Like Shane Battier was a critically important glue guy, two-time NBA champion, all-defensive player. Nothing wrong with being a glue guy. We can circle circle back around. That's why – Oklahoma City would probably be better off with a, quote, glue guy instead of Carmelo yes, right now. Exactly. Seriously. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah, that's not a demerit. Kevin, it is always a pleasure. We'll leave the rest of the series to our compadres that will be doing the Ringer NBA show tomorrow. I will catch up with you next week. See you, Chris. This was fun. Thanks, brother. If you dig what you're hearing, go give us a rating and review on iTunes, and we will talk to you next week. Hey.